Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It's lovely to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Michelle, and I'll be reading for us the second Bible reading, which is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Uh, please follow along if you have your Bible with you or a device. Otherwise, uh, follow along on the projection. So that's Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoicing when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, it is Christmas Day, and what a year it has been. It was the year of uh, men. We have to cut our own hairs. Uh, anyone try that this year? I gave my boys quite a few haircuts. It took five times longer and perhaps looked five times worse. Perhaps that's why my daughter Esther didn't let me cut her hair. Yvonne cut my hair a few times and I think I look okay. <laughs> but we've come to this point and Merry Christmas. Those of you in here, in the hall and also at home. Well, I do hope you've had a good morning so far. My boys were up so early this morning. They've never been up that early this whole year, and I wonder why. Playing basketball outside, waking up the neighbours, waking us up, and I wonder why. Now, I hope you all are very happy with your presence this morning. Boys and girls, happy? Anyone not happy? No hands up. Well, that's good. If you're not happy, you can always bring back on back Boxing Day and return and exchange it but just don't tell your parents. Well, it is good to be thankful and content on this day, and today it is Christmas Day, and I want to begin with a question. And that is, is today the picture of Christmas you imagined? Is today the Christmas you hoped for? And I know some of you, even here, hope for a Christmas in a different place, on holidays, up north at this little town north of Melbourne called Sydney. But you're stuck in Melbourne, which is better by far, so I'm glad you're here. But let's just say if you were to design, to design your own Christmas, what would it look like? What would you hope for? What would the, the ideal picture of Christmas look like? Well, the ideal picture of Christmas I have in my mind is a bit like this snowing outside, the snowflakes just falling on the branches and the roofs. It's just beautiful and pristine. 
and in this beautiful winter wonderland and inside by the fireplace with family and friends singing carols with joy that just fills the home. Just picture that with me. After a meal of turkey and roast pork and lobster and seafood, and I'm just salivating. I hope we get that today, Yvonne. And everyone's just happy, not a worry in the world. And the presents, so meaningful and so thoughtful because they're expensive. That's a picture of the ideal Christmas. Is that your picture? Well, instead, what do we get in Australia? Not that. Outside my home, it looks a bit like this. Hard to see, right? That's my driveway. No snowflakes, just this laser light beaming green and red dots. It makes my driveway look like it's got chicken pox, but that's Christmas this year for us. We've got a fireplace inside, but we won't be turning that on. Family singing carols, we'll do a bit of that today. But let me just say, not one of my family members is a fan of my singing. But what is the ideal picture of Christmas you have in mind? What is it that comes to mind? What is it that you hope for and long for? Well, the picture of Christmas we get from the advertisements, from the Woolies ad, from the Coke ads, is it is a happy time for happy people. The idyllic family reunion with beautiful people, wonderful holidays, expensive presents, more than enough to eat, everyone beaming with smiles, and in the background the music is playing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I almost broke out in song there. You know that one, right? The picture of Christmas is just perfect. Is that what you would imagine? But I do wonder how many of us will experience a Christmas we long for. How many of us this year will experience the Christmas we dream of? The family reunions, for some of us, will be messy. The awkward conversations, the bickering in the kitchen, the resentment of who's hosting or who's not hosting, or, what's, or who's bringing what and who's not bringing what. The tension in the family. Or the presents you receive and you think, was this really what you thought of me? Or it may be even a difficult Christmas for some because it will be a quiet one. Unable to travel home, unable to meet with family. Or it may be a difficult Christmas because for the first time in your household, there's an empty seat. It may be a difficult Christmas because for some, it just feels like life is still not in order. I know we're all singing, everyone's shopping, everyone looks happy, but life is just messy. I feel so messed up and I'm not happy. You see, we all experience Christmas differently. But the big question I want us all to reflect on this morning is, who is Christmas for? Who did God intend Christmas to be for? Is it just for the happy people to have a happy time, like only they get to enjoy Christmas? But then what about the rest? The sad, the downcast, the broken, the broken-hearted, the one who's just weary and tired. Is Christmas for such people as well? 
And I suspect some may be experiencing that even here this morning. And so who is Christmas for? You see, Christmas would not have happened at all if everyone was living the idyllic life. Christmas would not have happened at all if everyone was happy and satisfied and content and not have a worry in the world. Christmas would not have happened. There would have been no need for Christmas and God would not have promised Christmas if that was the fact. But of course, that's not the case. And many of us know that all too well. I mean, this year wasn't an easy year. And that's an understatement. For some, it may have been good because we're introverts, but for most, it wasn't an easy year. The global pandemic, racial tension we see around the world, protests, how many protests were there in Melbourne and around the world? Too many to count. The lockdowns, the quarantines, the border closure, which we're experiencing once again. And then the feelings of fatigue and tiredness and exhaustion. But I want you to hear this. It is precisely because life is messy. It is precisely because the world is broken that God promised the first Christmas. Christmas is not merely for happy people as though only happy people can enjoy Christmas. No. Christmas is for all people. The tired, the weary, the burdened, the sad, which means Christmas is for us. Christmas is for you. And so what this means is that instead of a Christmas where we just get all sentimental, just because it's that season of year where we can get sentimental. At Christmas time, we can become realistic about life and not need to live under any illusion that life is better than what it really is. And that is what we see in Isaiah chapter 9, which was written about 2,700 years ago. Here we get a picture of what this world is like from God's perspective And then God makes the promise of Christmas. We get the picture of what this world is like from God's perspective. And then we get the promise of Christmas. And so what is this world like from God's perspective as he looks down upon this earth? It's not a pretty picture. It's not a picture of people living the happy, idyllic life. Instead, what do we see? Well, we're given an image, a picture of gloom and despair in this world. And there is one word that is used in this passage. The word is darkness. Even the idea of darkness conjures up the hidden things, the the secret things, the bad things. Even every day at, at home. It's only at night time. That it's my job as the man of the household to go around to check that all the doors are locked. That's my job. We only do that at night time. We don't need to lock the doors during the day. Why? Because of that fear that under the shroud of darkness, bad things happen in our society. But darkness here expresses gloom and despair. And that's what we see in Isaiah chapter 8, 22. We read, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. 
and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Darkness. And then chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness. They are living in the land of the shadow of death. Now the language of darkness is meant to represent not just the absence of light, but all that is bad and wrong with this world. And darkness just not out there, but also from within. Because if you think about all the bad things that happens in our world, where does it begin? So much of it begins in the human heart. A seed of lust will grow. And it could lead to a broken marriage, a destroyed family. A seed of greed can lead to lies and deceit. A seed of pride can lead to self-centeredness at the expense of others. And I suspect some of you have been trampled down upon by those who live for themselves. And so from God's perspective, the people are walking in darkness. That is God's assessment of this world. But it is also darkness in terms of being ignorant, being in the dark of all the things about God, not knowing God, not knowing how we got here, why we got here, not knowing our purpose, not having a relationship with God, but being alienated from God. And that is the cause for much of the troubles in this world because we do not have a relationship with our maker. And we're like people groping around in the dark, not knowing how we got here, or why we got here. And people call that wisdom. And it is also darkness because of all the suffering and pain and the pandemic and the cancers and the illnesses which ravages the world. And many of us know that all too well. And so they are living in the land of the shadow of death. We are living in the land of the shadow of death. And that is the picture of the world from God's perspective. It's not the picture we like. It's not the picture where people are all happy, happy, joy, joy, content, satisfied, fulfilled. Not at all. But here comes the wonderful promise of Christmas. It is to such a world, such a dark world, to such a dark place that God promised Christmas. And so who is Christmas for? Not a world that is happy, but a world that is broken. Which means Christmas is for all. Those who long for more, who hope for more, who see that the solution cannot come from within, but has to come from above. You see, God, Christmas is God shouting out to the world as clearly and as loudly as possible. God saying, I still care for you. I'm still for you. And that is why Christmas is for all. Not merely those who can enjoy it and be happy. And do you see that in the promise? In verse 2 again. I didn't read all of verse 2. I left the promise out, but now you see it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And what is this light that will help expel the darkness and help us see? Help us see clearly. What is the promise to a hurting world? Well, we find the answer only a few verses later. Here we see God's plan to heal a broken world. God's care for a hurting world. And God's promise of hope to a world of hopelessness. And do you see where that promise comes from? Or how that promise will come about? It will all be bound up with a child. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. All the hopes of this world, all our deepest longings and yearnings, is bound up with a child. All that will reverse the darkness and decay and death in this world is bound up with a child. Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear of that, does that just sound like wishful thinking to you? Is that just too extreme, too extraordinary? What kind of child must this be? I'm a father of three children. A daughter I keep at a girls' school for good reason. Two boys who are just boys. And like any father, I would love for my children to do well, achieve, contribute to society, make a difference perhaps, and you probably want that for your own child as well. But who in their right mind would claim, it is my son, it is my daughter who is the hope of the world. It is my child who will bring life and righteousness and peace it is my child who is the light of the world. For anyone to say that, that is delusional. You'd be crazy to make such a claim. Unless, of course, you're God. And that was exactly what God promised. His own son entering into the very world he made. And notice how Jesus is described here in verse 6. The government will be on his shoulders. This is the government of the universe. The one true ruler. The government of the universe will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Jesus is the ruler, the king, the guide, the saviour to a world that desperately needs hope. You see, we would not need a king. We would not need this promise if this world was ruled perfectly by the premiers, by the prime minister, by the presidents of the world, by the kings and queens of the world. We would not need it. We would not need this promise if they all ruled perfectly. But they don't. You see, no political system or ideology can fix up the problem of the world. The United Nations, great intentions, but they are not the solution to the world's biggest problems. And so we do need this promise. We do need the perfect king. And we would not need 
the wonderful counsellor, if we are all so wise, but are we wise? Is the world wise? Do we know the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, what is harmful, what is not? We are not wise. You look at public policy. Things that are good are made illegal, whereas things that are depraved, depraved, they are normalised in the cinemas, in the movie, in the movies, in the media we watch, so that we are desensitised to what is depraved. And people make gods out of celebrities, out of wealth, out of even animals. We are not wise. And so we do need that promise, the wonderful counsellor. And we would not need the Prince of Peace if the entire world was living in harmony and unity and peace. But we don't have that. There are refugees, millions and millions of refugees, millions of homeless people, so many children in poverty, persecution of minority groups or anyone, families that are destroyed, so many, husbands and wives not only falling out of love with each other but falling in love with someone else and destroying families, domestic violence, Parents abandoning their children. That is the world we live in. We do not have peace. And so we need that promise, the Prince of Peace. And do you notice in Isaiah chapter 9 what this Prince of Peace will bring? In verse 5 we read this. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled up in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It means one day all the military uniforms, the boots, the weapons, the AK-47s, the Apache helicopters, the F-16 jet fighter, the missiles, the nuclear weapons, there will be no need for them ever again. No need for soldiers one day. Because of this Prince of Peace. You see, if all was right with this world and everyone was happy, we would have no need for Christmas. And we would have no need for the coming of Jesus Christ. But we do. And so who is Christmas for? Now, I don't know whether you'll have a happy Christmas or not, but I do hope you'll have a happy Christmas. But whatever Christmas you have, Christmas is intended by God for you. For you. Because Jesus is the light of the world who has dawned. He has come into this broken world and he has come for you. You see, Christmas is for those of you who are feeling lonely. Because Jesus has come and he said, I care for you and I'm with you. Christmas is for those of you who feel no peace inside, in the household, at home, because Jesus has come and he said, you can have peace with me and you can have peace with my Father in heaven. Christmas is for those of you who feel no love and you feel like everyone's just so distant 
Because Jesus has come and he said, I will love you forever. I will love you enough to even die for you. Christmas is for those who feel disappointment, frustration and restlessness because Jesus has come and said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Christmas is for those of you who don't have much. You can't buy the expensive presents. You will not have a fancy lunch or Christmas dinner. Because Jesus has come and said, I will give you more than you ever need if you come with me to our eternal home. Christmas is for those of you who are suffering illness, sickness, cancer, and I know there are some of you who are suffering cancer, long life, lifelong chronic fatigue, depression, because Jesus says, come follow me, trust in me, and I'll bring you to a life when one day there will be no more pain anymore. There will be no more Weeping anymore. You'll never shed a tear ever again. You see, Jesus didn't come for people who have it all together. And the reality is that none of us have it really all together. He came for people whose lives are messy and dysfunctional. He came for people who are mistreated and abused and neglected. He came for people who think they have it all. But yet deep down they know they're very empty and there's a big, massive void. And so Christmas is for people just like you and me. And so what is your ideal picture of Christmas if you were able to design it yourself? Well, the picture I painted at the very beginning, that wonderful, beautiful winter wonderland, does not even come close to one who comes to grips with the child who was born, the son who was given. Not just sing about the newborn king, but to submit to the true king, to trust in the wonderful counsellor, to depend upon the one who is mighty God, everlasting father, and Prince of Peace. You see, the ideal Christmas is one that is better than we could ever dream of. Whether you have much or little this Christmas, whether you'll cry or laugh this Christmas, whether you'll be amongst many or by yourself this Christmas, the ideal Christmas is one where at the very heart of all that will happen today, it is to know that at Christmas, God intended that for me, for you. Because Jesus is God's promise to a broken world. And he came for you. And that's why indeed we can truly say and mean it, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how can we ever fathom what you did for us that very first Christmas in a world where we are walking in darkness, in the land of the dead? Jesus is that light who has shone. 
And he has shone into our hearts to see that he is Lord and King, the King who is the wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Help us to believe that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.